Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to our community. Is there something in your life that you're just struggling to grasp a hold of? Are you losing control of any part of your life? Could it be your finances? Could it be your something to do with your work, your marriage? Something that you're just completely have lost control of and you're searching to rescue. Rescue that behavior or that attitude or or whatever it may be for you. Well, we're gonna to talk today about the word reclaim. For those of you in the I've Decided community, you're probably familiar with this word because you probably got your weekly running resource, you probably read Kim's article. And we wanna spend a little bit of time today in our podcast talking about the word reclaim and how we can go about um, turning that negative around in our life and using it as a positive and becoming more successful because of those efforts. Um, joining me today on my podcast is Stephen Snook, right? Did I say yes, that right? Stephen is the owner and creator of Jesus Speaks LLC. And I love this part of your name because LLC to me, when I first read it, means Limited Liability Corporation, right? That's what everybody references it as. But your LLC for you means Life, Liberty, and Christianity. And I just love that, how you've tied that into your name. So, Stephen, why don't you just take a couple minutes and introduce yourself um, and talk a little bit about Jesus Speaks mm -hmm. and what you're doing, and, and then we'll jump into Reclaim and learn a little bit more about how you've reclaimed your own life through some of the experiences that you've had. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for that gracious introduction. Yeah, no problem. Um, I was born in 1976 in Hampton, Virginia. My mother was 15 years old. When she had me, I was the second child that she had. So I already had an older brother um, to a 15-year-old mother. And she lived in extreme poverty. There was not a man around as my brother and I had different fathers. And so when I was about one year old, uh, my mother took my brother and I and set us by the road and called the police to come and get us. Uh, she felt like that would give us the best opportunity at life. Um, so we entered the foster care system. And within a year after being in the foster care system in Virginia, my father's, or excuse me, my brother's father's sister, who's from central Illinois, came to get my brother out of the foster care system. And then six months later returned uh, to come and get me out of her uh, gracious heart to keep the two boys together. Mm -hmm. So I grew up here in Danville, Illinois, uh, which is not too far from Peoria if you're going east towards Indiana. Um, my aunt is really just an incredible woman, uh, raised us on a waitress's salary, which back then I believe was about $2 an hour. Um, but she married bad men. Uh, she married men that were former alcoholics, um, current alcoholics, former military, very violent. And my brother and I were raised in this extreme violent and poverty stricken, uh, home, um, there was a lot of abuse in the home. Um, I was sexually abused uh, when I was seven years old um, and a lot of other physical abuse and a lot of verbal abuse from uh, these men that she married. Um, so when my brother turned about 14 and I was 12, he decided that it was better to run away than to live that life any longer. So he ran away um, and he just jumped on railroad cars and like a hobo we used to call hobos back in that time. Mm -hmm. And he just traveled all over the United States like that. He stayed gone. Um, so I was on my own uh, from the age of 12 there, which is kind of ironic because I used to dream that my brother and I would be handcuffed together no, uh, because I knew if we were handcuffed together that I would be safe. Yeah. Um, but he was gone. 
Um, so by the time I turned 15, I saw a way of escape out of the poverty, out of the abuse. And I saw that way because of what I saw going on in my neighborhood in Danville, that some people were able to escape the poverty. And the way that they did that was by selling drugs. Yeah. And I began to sell marijuana at 15 years old. Uh, by the time I was 16, I was living on my own, uh, taking care of three other people besides myself mm. and just selling marijuana. And this was the foundation of my young life. Um, by the time I was 19 years old, I was a drug smuggler. I was traveling. I would, I would go to Indianapolis International Airport, get on an airplane at 19 years old, fly to the Mexican border, pick up large quantities of marijuana and uh, have them shipped all throughout the Midwest, some of them even in the Peoria area. Mm -hmm. um, and it just continued um, to get in, entrenched deeper and deeper in that lifestyle. It seemed like the most natural outcome based on the life that I'd had growing up. And um, I, I started to get caught. So I would get caught. They'd put me in jail in various states. Um, I started to go to jail. I went to jail on the Mexican border and Florida and Virginia and Ohio and just continuous stream of trouble. I was certainly on the FBI's radar. Uh, you know, they were trying to, to, to capture me in a very large case. They were unable to do it at that time. Um, and then when I turned 21, um, I had a 17 year old girlfriend when I was 21 and there was an opportunity there. They said, well, we can get this guy off the street for a little bit. And they did. So, wow. um, went to prison for a few years there, came right back out, right back involved in drug trafficking. And this time I stepped into the cocaine business, which was, uh, much more dangerous. Um, and it wasn't long after I got involved in the cocaine business, started trafficking cocaine that I was arrested by the FBI and the DEA. And uh, my minimum sentence was 22 years in federal prison. Wow. That's quite a story and quite an experience. But we know that I know not everybody out here knows yet, but we're going to talk about that. You're not that man anymore. And you've gone through some pretty significant change. And I think a, a, just a great story and representation of you know reclaiming your life from mm -hmm. what was what you just explained was a pretty traumatic um childhood and uh, went through some pretty desperate and dark times right but at some point you made the decision enough's enough right and you were going to change your life and turn it around and, and that's why i think you're probably the perfect guest for this discussion this week because of your real life experience and what you can share with people and how you overcame some of those challenges that you were faced with so i appreciate you sharing that and kind of setting sure. the stage for the conversation um and and being being here with us today but um so we're talking about the word reclaim um and the the word is defined as to take something back that was yours to recall from wrong or to rescue from an undesirable state um and i when i read that definition now after hearing you just explain kind of your childhood and growing up and leading into prison, um, that that's why I think this is just a perfect conversation for you to be able to come in and share about your experience. I appreciate you doing that. Um, so I want to kind of walk through the article that Kim wrote this week on how to reclaim what's yours. I think this is how she titled it. And the first thing she talked about was um, acceptance, right? Mm -hmm being responsible, being accountable, owning your responsibility and your failures. So talk talk to us a little bit about 
um, how you kind of came to that point, right? Because sure. I cut you off kind of as you were entering prison. I know there's more to the story, and sure. I'm hoping to kind of walk through the rest of the story with you as we go through this. But at what point did it become obvious to you, I guess, that you, it was time for you to kind of stand up for yourself and 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 change your behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and to do that, I would imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you had to own your responsibility, right? And, sure. And, and go that way. So sure. talk a little bit about that if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, I think reclaim's an, an excellent word. And when we look in the word, in the Bible, mm-hmm. and it talks repeatedly in the Bible from the old covenant all the way through the new covenant, how God has had a plan for each and every one of us from birth. Yeah. Now, many times the enemy will try to derail that plan. And sometimes he is he's able to do that. Mm. And in my situation, my mother told me, who I'd only met five or six times, that the first time that someone tried to kill me, I was less than one year old. And that a man had slipped up through the yard in her house. This is before I entered the foster care system. I was a year old and that a man was walking through their yard with a machete and reached to grab my leg to have my to hack my one year old leg off. it, 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 I find that very interesting that I there is a pattern there throughout my life. And as I was praying one day in 2017 with, with just absolute tears, I just felt like I could not get my prayers through to God. Um, and I and I stayed in that in that position for maybe a half hour and just prayed and prayed and prayed. And then when I was finally felt like I was able to get my prayers through to heaven, I asked the Lord Jesus, I said, what was that all about? And he said, Stephen, the enemy has been trying to kill you your whole life. Hmm. And I think that's very relative when it comes down to reclaiming. Mm-hmm. So I, if I could, Andy, I'd like to just take a moment of how did I come to Jesus? How, yeah, did, this, how sure. did this young man that did not grow up in church, who had never read the Bible, yep. who did not was never exposed to the Lord Jesus or the greatness or the goodness of God, how did he find Jesus? Mm-hmm. I was such a bad man. Um, at that stage of my life, that even though I was in federal custody and even though I was going to be given a 22 year prison sentence and I could get no less than that, I was still participating in crime from inside prison. Yeah. And I sent uh, some people on a mission to do some crime. And when I used the phone about a week later, I found out when I was on the telephone that my brother was in the vehicle involved in a high speed police chase running from the scene of a shooting. Um, a mission that I had sent him on. Mm. And they told me that he was not going to live and he was on life support and he had been on life support for quite some time. And it was at that moment that I set that phone down and I went into the prison cell. I shut the door and, you know, just being in America, you hear about Jesus because there's search on every corner. And at that moment, my situation was so desperate and so dire my young wife, I was 26, she was 22. She was also going to go to federal prison just for being my wife. Right. My brother, who I love more than anything, my younger brother was now going to die. Mm. I destroyed every life that I'd touched. And I went into a cell not knowing how to say a prayer of salvation. Yeah. And I cried out to Jesus, Andy, and I essentially made a, tried to make a deal with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what I knew as a, as a drug dealer my whole life. And I said, Lord, if you will save my brother's life, because I can't carry this burden here. Right. If you'll save my brother's life, I'll give you every breath that I have, every heartbeat that I have. And he did. Hmm. Now I know that that's not very religious right. and your pastor probably won't teach that, but that's right. what happened in my situation. That's your experience. And right. this month will be 20 years that I've been born again. So it has stuck, <laughs> you know, it has stuck. You're holding and up your end of the bargain. Holding right? up my end. My brother was in the hospital for 32 days 
And uh, that was the beginning of my reclaiming mm -hmm. because from that point forward, I had never read the Bible. I was able to borrow Bible, start reading the Bible. Men started to get saved around me. I started wow. to do Bible study with very limited knowledge. And that was the beginning. That was the decision that you mentioned. Yeah. That was God meeting me. As the word says, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Right. So in street terms, I take a step towards you and you take a step towards me. And that's how this works, God. Yeah. And I began to do that. And that allowed that reclaiming process to begin. Mm. Yeah, that that's that's interesting, um, and you know you went into it just doing it the way you knew how to do it, right? But as you've evolved through your, we'll call it your religious growth, sure. right? You understand um, that maybe it, it's interesting how you say it's probably not the Christian way to do it or the right way to do it, but it's all you had, right? Yes. And you reached out and God answered your prayer even in that moment, right? Knowing yes, that you weren't necessarily a Christian. And and now you've taken that and turned it into a life of what I would cons consider is pretty successful, yes. right? Because you've you've honored your commitment yes. through that. Um, so, you know, you went through a, a pretty rough I don't know, 20 some years of, I don't know the whole timeline, but 20 years, right? Or where, however old you were when you first went into prison. I think you were in your younger 20s. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. Um, so uh, quite a bit of time of just living in in sin or right or in darkness or however you want to describe that. Um, but at some point you had to you had to make a conscious decision. I think you described that a little bit that you were just going to change your life, right? You were done with that lifestyle and you were done carrying that baggage and you wanted to, to change your life. And that's kind of like the, the, the next step in the, in the article that Kim outlined was understanding that it's okay to change your mind. You don't have to continue down the same pathway, doing the same thing over and over, no matter what's going on around you. You can, you can make a change, right? And you don't have to, a lot of time, I, th I think we, we resist change because it's different, right? We're not quite sure what the change is going to bring forward, or we don't want to admit the failure to the people around us for what, and I would imagine you probably had a lot of people in your life at that time who didn't want to see you change, mm -hmm. right? For their own selfish reasons, obviously, because they were benefiting probably for some of the things that you were doing or your relationship you had with them. So um, talk about the courage, I guess, that it takes to it, it, admit or to stand up and say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm going to mm -hmm. turn away from that lifestyle and I'm going to turn and focus on God. Can you talk a little bit more about sure. that mindset and that attitude? Sure, absolutely. I think the biggest amount of courage and a, a close relationship with God, a close relationship with the Lord Jesus, because when you do decide to make a change, one of the things that, that Jesus will do is he'll begin to put the people in your paths that will help yeah. you make that change. Right. Um, for me in prison, there were too many to, to even mention. But when I came to Peoria, um, I'm not from Peoria. Right. And God began to put the pieces in place um, just miraculously, the logistics of some of the miracles with the people that he's put in my path, such as the people at the Peoria Next Innovation Center, where mm -hmm. I started my business, some of the Christian men and women at the church that I go to, Bradley Epworth, that have essentially volunteered to help in the current ministry that I'm doing, wow. which is in the tent cities. Um, 
God puts those people in place. And when you you mentioned that sometimes people don't want to see you make that change. I have a, a story here that I was in the process of rescuing a 26-year-old woman from one of the tent cities here in Peoria okay. two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was going to take her out of the tent city. She had made a commitment to change the course of her life, strung out on fentanyl. Okay. I was able to, to get her out of there. The night before taking her to detox, she stayed in the house of a Christian woman. But as I went to extract her from Tent City, some of the residents in there didn't want her to leave. Mm. So as I'm standing back watching, one man tries to steal her phone from her mm. because they know that she's leaving and she may not return. Right. Some of the residents didn't want her to leave to take that shot, to take that opportunity um, to get better. Um, when it comes to courage, I've had my life threatened multiple times for yeah. spreading the gospel. Normally, you don't hear about that in America. You would hear about that if somebody went and preached in Africa sure. or perhaps India. And they say, well, I felt like our life was in danger. Right. I literally had a man pull a pistol on me last month. Wow. Preaching the gospel, trying to help someone in one of the 10 cities in Peoria, Illinois. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's it, it's not unheard of for me to have that situation because when the Lord speaks to me, um, I think I may have mentioned just a little bit, I'm a ferocious faster. You know, at the beginning of this year, I did a 21 day water only fast. And I do that to draw nearer to God, to be able to hear him more clearly. What does he want me to do next? Right. Um, in May, I did an eight day water only fast with my online ministry. After that, about a week later, that's when the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go into Tent City and take them water. Hmm. Now, first of all, I didn't know what Tent City was. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what this would look like. So just a month ago, I didn't understand what was going sure. to happen, what this was all going to look like. But by staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit, going in there initially and just taking them water, giving them a relatable story from a man that had been to prison, right. that was a drug addict, right. the traction that we've been able to pick up and the people, you, you know, when you go in there, there may be 20 people in there that don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. But then there's one person, as Kim writes, there's one person that wants to reclaim their life right. that says, this is it. But I don't know how to do this. Right. Where is that, that, uh, that help, that community, that that mechanism that can help me. Now, there are certain government mechanisms put in place, but they're not Christ-centered. Right. And that's the difference. That is the real difference that I've noticed what's happening. Sure, there's a nonprofit that takes them syringes, condoms, um, and 35 waters a day when it's 95 degrees out. That's nothing. So immediately when I went up there, I was like, well, where is anybody bringing you waters? Mm -hmm. So for four days, three weeks ago, it was in the 90s. Um, you know, being a drug addict is not a death sentence. You know, and when you do find someone there that doesn't want to be in that environment, they do want to reclaim their life. We, as the body of Christ, have to have a way to to help in that. And that's I believe that God's put me in there to try to kind of fill that gap a little bit. And uh, I may have went slightly off topic right no, there, but it was on right. my heart right there, Andy, yeah. and I felt like it was a good it, segment. No, it's perfectly all right. And I think sharing sharing your experience is really helpful. And, um, you know, I, I think the bottom line is, at least as far as that piece goes, is you know you got to be able to set your pride away right and and the fear aside and trust in something for that help and you described the lady in the tent city right and you were that she wanted out yes. didn't know how to get out but you showed up and offered that solution and and that's really the gist of it, is you got to understand where you can go for help and lean into that um, and circle your, and I think there's actually a, a point here about that is, is asking for help mm -hmm. and you gotta be, a, be able and be willing to do that. And one of the things that I do in my life and I'm pretty protective of is who am I hanging out with, mm -hmm. right? Who am I surrounding myself with and spending my time with? Are they people that are going to 
help and encourage me to be successful or the people that are going to hold me back and drag me down and, and maybe distract me because of whatever behaviors that may be exhibited in those groups. But we got to be able to find those people that we can lean into. Um, and I think that that's one of the most important things when you're going through a challenge is that you got to understand where's my help and how do I get it? And you got to be able to put your pride away and, and be okay with asking for it. Right. I think a lot of people struggle with that. I know I do as a man because Mm -hmm. I'm a man and I feel like as a father and a husband that I should be able to do a lot of the things that, that, that I'm needed to do, but sometimes I can't. And I just got to be willing to say who can help me and how do I get to that help? Yes. I think that's so important. Um, the, the next, the next thing in the article was about uh, Kim labeled this check yourself, right? And, and it's all about your attitude. Are you positive with yourself? Are you negative with yourself? How do you, how do you work through that and focus on the positive and, and encourage yourself because self doubt, self negative talk, we all struggle with that. I think from time to time, if we're honest, um, can you talk a little bit about in your experience, how you've wrestled in that area and helped overcome that? I have an idea of what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear it from you. Well, it took some years, you know, um, having not grown up with any type of church background. All the knowledge that I had about God was coming directly from the Bible. Mm. So I would read a King James Version Bible, and I would just take it absolutely literally and believe that this is the Word of God. So if I would come across a promise in the Bible, example, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 2004, I was just standing on a scripture in Mm. Luke uh, chapter 11, 13. I didn't even ask God. I had literally demanded that. I said, you're saying right here that this belongs to me as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that I am a Christian. And I, at that time, I had been for a year. And I'm asking you for this, Lord. I'm actually demanding it as a Christian. It's my right as a Christian. This is my position. Yeah. And he answered that prayer. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience um, that changed the course of my life tremendously, even more than than being born again. Mm. Um, so um, when it comes to like... And I guess where you're, what you're asking me is that you, when you're saying check yourself, you're saying like you, the identity that I have as in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the identity that I have in Christ, that revelation probably came to me about six and a half, seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, where the Lord was like, your job is to create a meeting. You create a meeting between another person and me. Mm. That is your job. Um, so I haven't necessarily been called to be a pastor in, in my line of life. More, It's more of an evangelist. Um, not long ago, I started meeting with a lady that graduated from Oral Roberts uh, through Zoom. It took me five months to get a meeting with her. And she said, you have an apostolic anointing on you. Um, we I'm Currently online, I have 70,000 followers. And I just get on there and just preach the gospel or tell mm. stories. So people from all over the world, they scroll through that and they hear that. And they say, wait a minute, God stops them and says, what is in this man? Yeah. What is in this man that is doing That's how this? we found you. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. <laughs> you know, so God says, okay, Stephen, your job, you know, is to create a meeting between this person and me. If it's a person in Tent City, you do that. If it's a business person here in the Peoria area, I try to do that. Mm-hmm. And I say, brother, let me, you know, many times I'll say, you know, how do you have such boldness in your faith? Yeah. Well, because Jesus tells me this is who I am. I'm a child of the most high God. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, you you know you're just a poor kid that came from the slums. You're a, a former drug dealer. You've been convicted of over six felonies. You spent over twenty years in prison. That's who you are. Right. Well, if you define me by who I used to be, you've right. missed it because exactly. you can't define me like that. You've got to define me by who I'm going to be right. and who God says that I am right now. Right. So you've made that choice, right, to yes, turn sir. away from that I- identification mm-hmm. and create a new identity for yourself. And you've done that by investing in the scripture and in yes. the promises of Christ, right? Yeah. My identity is in Jesus. Right. I am who Jesus says that I am. Right. I was purchased by the blood of Jesus. He thinks, and one of the reasons that my ministry inside of prison was so successful and I was able to lead so many men to Jesus throughout the United States. When I was in the federal prison system, I was housed in Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Georgia, Illinois. Mm-hmm. But I could lead men to Christ if I could get them to understand that they were not unworthy. Andy, their, their, their biggest hang up as being a drug addict or a criminal, or even the people in Tent City or home, they believe that they're worthless. Right. They believe based on all the mistakes they've made, they know that they've made a lot of mistakes in their mm-hmm. life. You know, they, they, they can't blame anybody else for where they're at in life and they feel like they are a worthless person. Right. And I will go to them and say, you've got this wrong. God says that you are worth his son's life. Mm. That's what you're worth. That's powerful. And if you're willing to accept that, I'm telling you that it's there and it's available mm-hmm. for you. And there are people like Andy and Kim and people like that, that will come alongside you, that will help you become the right. person that God always intended you to be. Yeah. So you, you've jumped right into the next piece, which was about believing, right? And understanding that, that you are a child of God and God loves you and has a purpose for you. And, and then exercising that faith. It's, it's one thing to believe it. But not everybody can exercise the faith and, and go to the level that you're at, right? Where you're out now, you self-described evangelist, right? And I would say a bit of a missionary too, right? Yes. Where you're taking on this task to go meet people where they are, serve their needs where they are. And that's extremely important is we, we have to have faith, mm-hmm. right? And you have to understand that. And I would say that just based on what little I know about you and what I've learned is that you are living a life of faith to the highest level, right? You believe that God is there for you and with you at all times, and you're going to carry that message forward to everybody that you come across. I I think that's extremely commendable um, and inspiring, to be quite honest with you, Um, just in my own uh, reflection of that. Um, It's not easy, though, is it? It's 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 hard work. Well, it's painful. Yeah. How so? Well, I'm going to tell you that two weeks ago was probably two of the most painful. Um, I had a, a couple of very, very painful experiences. And what happens is when I go into a situation like that, and um, I won't spiritualize this too much, but it is it is a warfare. There's mm-hmm. a warfare that's taking place. Sure. I, I took my pastor in there, Pastor um, Tom Eckhart from Bradley uh, Epworth. And I took him in there with me one day. Now, I'd already been warned by another pastor that used to go into this environment. Into the tent city environment? The the very one that I went in. He took me out to lunch, and he said, Stephen, I'm going to tell you that I almost died up there a couple years ago. That a man tried to attack me. I'm warning you to not do this. Mm. Um, But I'd been in situations like that throughout the federal prison system. I had led devil worshipers to Jesus, Santeria priests. It didn't matter. Um, 
because mm-hmm. I know that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Yeah, your experience so, gives yes. you a little bit different level of courage. <laughs> That's right. right. So like when, when God sent me into the tent, say the very first day as I was getting ready to leave and I just brought him some water and said, hey, I'm just a local uh, pastor, Christian evangelist guy. And, and I'm here if anybody wants help. Can I pray for you or, you know, can I can I speak into your life here? Can I plead the blood of Jesus over you? As I was getting ready to walk out, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, take your shirt off and give it to that man. Hmm. So I did. And I walked out of there shirtless being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That man happened to be the leader of that tent city. Oh, wow. So they have a hierarchy set up, even though they're all very dysfunctional drug addicts and very violent, mm-hmm. they have this established in their environment. And so when I came back in there three days later uh, with clothes, so my ministry immediately started supplying more than water. We started bringing them hygiene and clothes mm-hmm. and food. And, and you know, many of them were walking around barefooted and stepping on glass and sticks. And we, we started to supply all that. And I was bringing clothes and I didn't have anything for him. And mm-hmm. I said, man, brother, I apologize. Next time I come in here, I'll have a shirt for you. And he said, Pastor Stephen, you don't have to give me a shirt. He said, because you gave me the shirt off your back. Hmm. Now, I can tell you right now, here we are two weeks later, and that man is no longer in Tent City and he's in a house. And he works at Popeye's and he has a job. Really? Now, Jesus can do anything. That's right. If we ever try to limit what God can do or his methods, we're in trouble. Yeah. Because the way that he reached me and the method that he used to reach me, I can't necessarily find in the Bible, but he still did it. You know what I mean? Is that we can never limit that. And I want to encourage anybody that's listening to this now that if you feel like you're ready to reclaim your life, um, the people that are here that are in this room, from what I understand about them and the limited knowledge that I have of them, they're here for that. They're here to help you get to that spot, to get to that level. So anytime you can find people that are trying to take you there, like I said, with me, it was just incredible um, just walking into the Pure Next Innovation Center. They didn't even have an office space for me to rent. Yeah. The, the man that, that that runs the building, uh, the director of the building that works for Bradley, also uh, Mike Stubbs, he essentially just went, combed through my entire background. Miraculously, he said, I'm going to give you a shot. I don't have an office up here for you to rent, but if you'd like to. You can sit in the atrium. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is just how this whole thing started. That was a year and a half ago. Yeah. And that's how the Jesus Speaks and all that stuff started. Yeah, just... So let's talk about the Jesus Speaks. Sure. What, what is the Jesus Speaks and what are you doing um, with that business? Or that I think it's a charitable, charitable business, not for profit. Well, no, the, the Jesus Speaks is actually the for profit business okay. where I invented from a dream that God gave me in 2020, the scripture frames, right. which automatically uh, rotate inspirational scriptures. Okay. The nonprofit that I have created, they actually, the ministry itself is called Extraordinary Solitude. Oh, okay. Extraordinary Solitude okay. is the nonprofit. And what Extraordinary Solitude does, uh, we have an, you know, the Jesus Speaks, we have 70,000 followers. The Extraordinary Solitude, we have a, a, it is a Christian ministry where we have a Facebook group of over 2000 members worldwide. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where people can come together. If somebody needs prayer, if, if I, you reached out to me and said, you know, we've got an issue, whatever the issue may be, Stephen, we, we need some prayer. I could drop that into my extraordinary solitude group. And within an hour, probably 700 people around the world would be praying about that issue. Right. That's a private group. I don't just let anyone sure. in there. I, I, I vet them. And so what we've started to do with extraordinary solitude, we've reached out into the tent city, and places like that. Also in 2017, when I was in solitary confinement for a year, I wrote a book about my life from where I came from uh, because the Lord had showed me it's going to help a lot of people to understand that you can come from this and end up being this or God can do this with you. Mm -hmm. And all the miracles that I was seeing in prison with men being saved and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit where they would leave prison 
just radically changed. And it would change their family mm -hmm. that this man was born again in prison and it had changed so much. So I wrote that book and when it is finished and it's ready to go to press within the next week or two, we'll be ready to go to press. We're going to distribute those into abuse victim centers, specific types of hospitals, jails, prisons for free. That's what Extraordinary Solitude's okay. mission is to just help anyone that is uh, spiritually hungry um, and looking to draw closer to God wherever they're at in life, whether they've been in church their entire life. So then is your Jesus Speaks business help funding the, the uh, not-for-profit or the charity? Um, the, what the Jesus Speaks business does, again, they sell the scripture frames right. and I do. I also have the coaching service where okay. I coach young men, Christian families reach out to me and say, awesome. hey, we have a young one um, that is in prison that's getting ready to come out. Can you mentor him? Can you work with him? Yes, mm -hmm. I can. And so that's where I, that's actually how I make a living. I do not draw a salary from the nonprofit. Right. You know, maybe one day it will grow so big that I will be able to do that. Right. You know what I mean? But at this point, the nonprofit and everything that's used for those resources goes right back out into the ministry. Awesome. And then I just survive and live with the Jesus Speaks uh, LLC and, and what we do there. So talk a little bit more about the Jesus Speaks and how then tell people how they can find it. Sure. Well, we have a website, uh, JesusSpeaksLLC.com. And of course, you can always email me at info at Jesus Speaks LLC. Uh, dot com. Um, the Extraordinary Solitude is um, Extraordinary Solitude at gmail.com. Um, if someone wanted to partner with us, if they wanted to donate to what we're doing through Extraordinary Solitude, they could go to PayPal and and type in Extraordinary Solitude gift. Um, they could always reach out through email, through either email info at Jesus Speaks LLC dot, uh, dot com. They could email me at Extraordinary Solitude at gmail.com. Um, so those are the ways that they could reach sure. out to me if they wanted to get involved, what we're doing here in the Peoria community. Okay. And I'd like to, if it's okay, could I speak to a couple things that we've been able to identify yeah. in this ministry? Yeah, we got a few more minutes. Thank you, brother. I think this is very important because there are a couple gaps here when it comes to helping people. And I believe that most of the listeners out there would are, are people that want to help other people. And there are a few gaps here. One of the gaps is that the Dream Center here in Peoria, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. phenomenal. I've been working with some of the volunteers there. They have a mobile shower unit. Yep. Okay. But that mobile shower unit has to be close to a fire hydrant in order to run. Some of the other groups that are government funded nonprofits, not Christian based that I won't mention necessarily by name, they go into the tent city. They will take the syringes or the other items that I told you they would take. They have the ability to transport these people to the mobile showers, but they don't do it and they won't do it. And I'm not sure why. And I actually asked them why. So here you have a group of people. This is actually a health issue. I believe this is this is very important because this fentanyl epidemic that's going on in America is the health crisis of our generation, I believe. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it, and I was involved in the drug business my whole life. It's cheaper than any drug on the street. Right now, fentanyl is 50 times more powerful than heroin, 50 times more deadly, and cheaper than marijuana. Hmm. A month ago, I didn't know this. Okay, so we've got to try to tackle this thing, and, and it, it causes sores on people's bodies. These people need to be bathed, or we're going to have problems in our community. So you have the option here with the mobile showers. You have no transportation to get the people from the tent cities to the mobile showers. This is something that we can fix. Mm -hmm. The other huge gap that I've seen, and I've been uh, in direct contact with administrators over drug rehabs all over the state of Illinois and in Indiana, is there's a gap between detox and rehab in, in our community, okay? When people want to get out of this situation, they need to be detoxed first because they're fentanyl heroin addicts. They have got to be detoxed. It could harm them very badly if they're not. So they go to a detox center for between three and five days. 
that is the length of time. During that time, you are trying to find them a bed in a rehab. If there's not a bed available in the rehab, and many times there's not, guess where they go, brother? They go back right back to the street. street. Yeah. And I've literally asked them when I'm trying to find someone a bed that we send into a detox. Now, what do I do? If you're telling me you don't have a bed and you just let me know this the night before, what can I do with this person? And the answer is take them back to where they were. And I say, how can I take someone back to where they were? They were living in a tent on the right. street. So there's a gap there that needs to be filled. And I'm going to try to fill it. Wow. I am going to try to fill that. I've been networking with my pastor and some other people here in the Peoria uh, community that know that there's a gap there that needs to be filled. We've got to supply some type of place for these people to go that come out of detox, that want help, that doesn't put them back in the environment where they were at. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to remain sober there. No, it's impossible. Right. And as long as I literally had a doctor on speakerphone telling one of the people that I was trying to get in rehab that they recommended that they did not detox at this moment. Now, think about how insane that is, that mm -hmm. any shot of dope that this person does could literally kill them at that moment. And the doctor's saying, I recommend you don't do that right now. Don't do the detox until you know you have a bed open for you to go into rehab. Yeah. This is not a Peoria area problem. It's not a state of Illinois problem. This is a problem in the United States. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not putting blame anywhere. I'm just saying that I personally have identified this gap and I believe that we can do better. And, I, and I'm putting the structure together right now for extraordinary solitude to come in and, and help awesome. do that. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time today and sharing your story. It's powerful, right? And you certainly are a, a living example of someone who has reclaimed their life, right, at the highest level. Um, and I appreciate you walking through the discussion today and sharing a little bit more about what you're doing. And we thank you, those of you out there in, in uh, watching this podcast or listening to the podcast for giving us your time and listening to this story. And hopefully it's helped you um, with whatever it is that you might be struggling with. And those of you out there who have heard Stephen's message, if you want to get involved, you heard the different ways to do that. Um, I'm sure we'll have that available here as, as the podcast gets loaded too, to where they can see some of that that information, but thanks for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time here on our community.